Bob. Thank you guys so much. It was incredible. Thank you. Doing really good. Thank you. I, um, I wanted to say, somebody said, I can't believe you wore a chief sweatshirt. But the Lord, I really felt the scripture in my heart this morning. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. So the people that are not speaking well of me right now, I'm, I'm aware of. Because he said, just like they hated me, they'll hate you. So I just wanted to be scriptural today and create controversy. Peace I do despise. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. We're so honored that you're here today. Today's going to be a great day. I have a word I want to teach. We've been in the midst of a series of messages called the Roaring Twenties. We started it the first week in January, and we're going to go all the way through the last week in February because we really believe that God's teaching a group of people how to lift their voice because their life has been transformed. How many of you know a lot of times we live in silence because we don't have confidence in who we really are? You ever walked in a place and you felt like, man, I don't, I don't even know how to navigate the arena I'm in, and because I don't know how to navigate the arena I'm in, we sort of shrink back. We like turtles. We pull our head back in and find ourselves in our shell. And I just believe that Christian people, people that name the name of Christ, that are true Christ followers in our generation are going to learn how to live their life out loud. The, the book of Proverbs says this, says the righteous are bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when nobody's even pursuing them, nobody's even chasing them. So I just believe that we've been in a process of trying to discover what God is doing in our life and how God processes us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very, very practical today. I ask him to bring my whiteboard because I'm going to draw and scribble and do things I love to do and, and, and teach a very simple principle. We've been studying the life of Elijah and Elisha in the process of how do you release generations? How do you have continuum? Because how many of you know that what you and I are experiencing today, somebody started before we got here? If we're, sta- if we're doing more than any other generation, it's only because we're standing on the shoulders of mighty men and women who went before us. Somebody prayed for us before we got here. We may be the recipients of their prayers more than ours. You ever think about that? Your prayers don't die when you do. So that means your prayers are ever before the throne of God. And there may be years before some of those prayers are answered, but God never forgets them when they were prayed in faith. And so he comes along and he sends answers according to the times and purposes that he's ordained. In fact, he said to Moses, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said to them, he said, Moses, don't you think this is all about you? I promised Abraham I would bring his people out after 400 years, and I'm just answering his promise, and I'm using you to do it. So how many of you are glad today you get to be the promise for somebody else that prayed? Hallelujah. So in the process of teaching, and, and so grateful for Pastor Jay last week, what an incredible word he shared, and we're grateful for him. But as we, as we unpacked this whole passage in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, we begin to talk about these various places that Elisha followed Elijah. He made a choice to have to follow him. And some of the things I want to share today, I believe, will help us not only this year and this decade that we've called the decade of the 20s, but I really believe it's going to help some people this week. My, my greatest motivation and passion today 
uh, not just today in this room, but in my own personal life, at this stage in my life, is not really about preaching. I have more preaching opportunities than I really need, I couldn't fulfill. So just to preach again doesn't turn my motors. But really turns my passion is to create life change. If I can help people experience life change, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me if people leave and say, wow, that was an incredible message. But if they go home and next Thursday realize my life is different because of what I learned and what I heard, then I honestly believe that that is the assignment that's on our life. So that means this. That means it's not enough for us as the people of God to be motivated because everybody comes and gets inspired, inspired, when in reality what God looks for is movement. Movement. God wants to take us through steps, places that move us from one place to another. And sometimes, how many of you know your direction from one place to another is not always a straight path? Hmm? When you climb mountains, how many of you know sometimes the road goes like this? Everywhere. You think you're not really on track, but you're making progress. I'm, I said that for some people in the room today. Some of you have thought you were not on track, but in reality, you're making progress because you have movement going on in your life that's in a positive direction, and that movement matters. Here's what happens. There's, there's a couple of things I want to show you today. First of all, there is a journey to Christ, to Christ. But there's also a journey in Christ. Most people stop here. They make a journey to Christ and never continue the journey in Christ. So what happens is they become born again or transformed, saved, whatever terms you want to put to it. They have confidence that if they die, they'd go to heaven. They just live all kinds of miserable lives while they're here on earth. They live influenced by the thoughts of the world. They live, they live predominantly dominated by attitudes that are really not Christ-like. They find their life held up by all kinds of things that enslave them, things that hold them in captivity, because what they fail to make is not the journey to Christ. They fail to make the journey in Christ. Because here's what happens. The journey to Christ are, is always catalytic moments, catalytic moments. Can I say to you today, we live in a culture that thrives on catalytic moments. We are an event-oriented culture. Thus today. How many of you know the grocery stores made more money this week than they made last week because there's going to be all kinds of Super Bowl parties? The city of Miami made millions of dollars. The NFL made millions of dollars. Football teams made millions of dollars because of a three-hour event. Millions, hundreds of millions of people will occupy their time today, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be enjoying it as well. It's not, the issue is not whether you enjoy it. The issue is, how many of you know that every day is not your birthday? We made the comment last night, my wife and I, when we were coming home with my mother, that now every month has some great holiday in it. I mean, we hadn't even finished, got through putting Christmas stuff up, and now we got to start buying Valentine's stuff. 
As soon as we finish with that, we've got to start buying Easter stuff. As soon as we finish that, we've got to start buying Mother's Day stuff. And then we have to do Memorial Day. And then once we finish Memorial Day, we've got to do Father's Day. And when we finish Father's Day, we've got to do Fourth of July. Finish Fourth of July, then we've got to do Labor Day. And then when we do Labor Day, then we've got to get Halloween. And we get Halloween, then we've got to start buying turkeys for Thanksgiving. And as soon as we finish buying turkeys for Thanksgiving, then we've got to start with Christmas all over. And then next thing you know, it's New Year's Eve again, and I'm starting all over. And I just feel my life running. And so what happens is we get caught in this cycle of just living from one high to another. Here's the problem. What we do in the world, we end up doing in church. So every week, we look for a catalytic moment. So that our whole Christian faith is built on being inspired, not necessarily changed. I'm really doing, I I have like five amens. Am I doing okay? How many of you recognize that what happens is we just want to constantly be inspired? It doesn't matter whether my marriage changes. It doesn't matter whether my parenting changes. It doesn't matter whether my finances change. Because if I can read another book that inspire me, at least I'll think good about it. I had a guy tell me this week, and, 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 and it was really, really funny, and, and he's really, really right. Kalen has, has been my trainer. He's been trying to help me train uh, some. He said to me, he said, uh, he's, been trying, he's, he's been trying to work really hard. He's just got a bad client. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, the guy said to me, he said, well, you know the, you know the toughest equipment at the gym, don't you? And I said, uh, yeah, I mean, I, he showed me some things that were really, really hard for me to do. He said, no, no. He said, the toughest thing at the gym is the front door. That is worth tweeting right there. The hardest piece of equipment at the gym is the front door. Because what happens is, how many of you know there are people that in January said, I need a, I'm going to go on a diet. We got diet books. We bought diet books. We bought health books. We bought all kinds of things. The thing is, we get inspired constantly. We just never take any steps to get there. So what happens is, we love catalytic moments, but we hate process. We don't want process in our life anywhere. But let me, let me tell you how the kingdom works. Can I, can I talk a little bit about, about how the kingdom works? God starts with a purpose. A purpose. How many of you know everything originates in God? I'm going to try that one more time. Everything originates in God. In other words, you were sent here on purpose. Your mom and dad may not even plan for you. But God purposed you to be here. That's why when he was trying to awaken Jeremiah to what he was supposed to do in his life, he didn't take him back to elementary school or to high school with his his counselor. He took him back to before he was born. He said to him, Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. And I ordained you to be a prophet. In other words, I purposed you before you were anywhere to be purposeful. Because I had a purpose for you. So what happens is God starts with purpose. He gives it a pace. In other words, there is a time for everything. How many of you know that the Bible says that Solomon, the wisest man outside of Jesus, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, makes this statement. There is a season under the sun for everything and a time 
for everything that exists. If you don't understand time and pace, you'll be wanting something in a season that you're not qualified for. Hmm? You'll be spending money you don't have. And then wonder why at 30 you can't buy a home. Because you actually had to get those. Never mind, I'll leave that alone. I'll just keep going. So God creates, he creates a time. He then puts you in a process of development. And that process leads you to the promise fulfilled. In other words, God didn't forget any of it. He just has you on his track to where he wants to take you. Am I helping anybody in the building? So what happens in our lives is we, we sometimes don't even grasp, grasp purpose. But once we grasp purpose, you've got to grasp pace. And you've got to grasp process to get to the product, or I call it the promise. Of what comes to pass. Here's what happens. How many of you know this even happened in Jesus' life? At 12, Jesus fully understood his purpose. He is in the synagogue, in the temple, explaining the book of Isaiah to the scholars. His mama missed him. Now, I don't know about Mary. We, we would probably, she'd have probably been in jail, but she was gone three days before she knew Jesus was missing. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I noticed Jesus ain't been here for breakfast the last couple of mornings. Wonder where Jesus is. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of messages in that. The Bible says that the first place she looked for him was she looked for him among her kinfolks. It's funny, we tend to try to want to find Jesus among familiar people, but he wasn't there. He was back in the temple understanding what his purpose was. He said, Mother, do you not know? I got to be about my father's business. I, I, I know who my father is. I know what my purpose is. And I don't know what that little Jewish lady said, but whatever she said, she shut the revival down. Because the Bible says he left and went home with her. Don't care how many people getting healed, you coming home, boy. <laughs> and not only did he go home, but for 18 years, he lived in silence. For 18 years, he learned, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, he learned obedience. If Jesus learned obedience, how many of you in this room believe you might have to? He learned how to live in an obedient position. Because here's what happens. When pace and process are forfeited, disorder and chaos becomes a way of life. Every person in this room, every person listening to my voice today, every person online today, who ignores pace and process will always find themselves not at odds with God, they're at odds with his divine order. 
Let me give you one example was money. How many of you know, until you learn how to handle money, God can't entrust you with the stuff that you've been dreaming about. He's not trying to say you can't prosper and abound. He's trying to put you through the time and the process necessary so that you don't waste your potential as a steward. Can I give you another one? How many of you know that sex was meant to be enjoyed in every person's life in this room. Unless God called you to a place of celibacy, God intended for you to be married and enjoy sexual relationships with somebody of the opposite sex. Sex is not bad. I know some people just sort of drew up on their hind parts when I said the word sex in church. There's two things you never talk about in church. You never talk about money and you never talk about sex and that's the only two things everybody's after. So we just want fake church. We don't want to talk about the real stuff. But how many of you know that what happens is if you miss the time for when you're supposed to be sexually active, you'll be 16 and start sleeping with all kinds of people. And by the time you're 23 and find the real one for your life, you will have now been so out of God's order that chaos has entered now into your sexual mindset so that when you finally get to a place called marriage, now your marriage partner can't satisfy you because you miss God's pace and process. And the $50,000 you spent for a wedding, now you're spending $20,000 to get a divorce. I am preaching really good today. Somebody shout process. So how does God do things? You know, we started this whole deal with Elijah and Elisha on, 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 on purpose, on a reason, for a reason. And listen to me closely. I realize we live in a day You know what? When I was 30, I thought we need to find new ways to do everything because I thought, you know, those old ways are not going, they're not going to work. Now we come along and now the millennials say this and the Gen Zers say this and you're not going to reach people. And I'm thinking, you know what? All we keep trying to do is come up with slick ways to present something that's older than any of us. The gospel has survived. It survived without Hollywood, New York marketing systems, slick marketing ads. The gospel has survived. How did it get here? How did it happen? It happened because Jesus had a very simple principle. Jesus did it very simply. He believed the power of the message and he believed the power of personal interaction with people to help them be processed into what God wanted them to be. Big church word, he called it discipleship. He said, go on a journey with me. Let me take you through steps. So when he called people, he called them to follow him. Somebody say, follow him. He didn't just call them to him. He called them to continue on in him. Take and go on a journey with me. That's why in this, in this room today, my, my plea is don't just let me take you to Christ. Join with me and let, let's take a journey in Christ until your life is transformed and changed. That's why we have 10 weeks of empowerment that are coming up starting next Wednesday night. Why do we do that? Because we want people to make a journey in Christ. 
We're going to do it every spring and every fall, 10 weeks, 20 weeks out of the year. That's less than half of the year. I'm asking you to say, take a journey, take some steps, because everybody is somewhere on that pathway of trying to make the steps to become more like Jesus. Can I just say something? Even when you think you arrive at a finished product, you only arrive at a finished product for that stage. I'm trying to move on, but listen to me. In life, this is a reality in life. In every stage of your life, you're always promoted from the top to the bottom. I ain't getting no help over here. You're always promoted. Every time God promotes you, every time you grow, every time you expand, God always promotes you from the top to the bottom. You say, what are you talking about? How many of you know when you left high school... You left at the top of the food chain. You were a senior. But when you started college, huh? See here. See, it's like this. Life is like this. Every time God creates avenues for you to grow in, So you fill up this stage of your life, you start from the bottom, you get pace, you get process, you grow, you become a completed person in that stage. And God says, okay, praise the Lord, you've reached the top of that stage. Now, here we go. Let me start another stage. No, no, I don't want to start at the bottom. I don't want to start at the bottom again. No, he said, no, 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 you're not back here. You're not starting over. You just start next. This is called continual growth. This is how you keep growing. I don't, I don't want to put a ceiling on my life here and say, you know, at 43, I done grown all I can grow. Praise the Lord. I know everything I, I know everything I can ever learn. No, you won't. You'll be stupid for 27 years of your life before you die and go to a grave somewhere. Oh, I feel good today. How many of you know, I, I told some guys this week, I said, it may, there may be five steps to prosperity and six steps to a happy marriage, but there's only one step to stupid. And that one step is to say, I'm done growing. I don't need to grow anymore. I'm at a place where I've learned everything I need to learn. No, God wants to take you on a journey in him because there's more about him that you and I don't know that he wants to reveal to us. Is anybody in the building know what I'm talking about? So here's what Elijah did with Elisha. He took him on a journey. And the first place he took him, in in 2 Kings chapter 2, I'm not going to read the scripture, I don't have time, i got to hurry. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 1 through 3, we talked about it two weeks ago. The first place he took him was to Gilgal. Everybody shout Gilgal. He said to, to Elisha, stay here at Gilgal. Gilgal was a place of separation. It was a place where things roll off of you. Things that aren't supposed to be attached to your life. Because they may have fit you at one time, they don't fit you now. How many of you know there's some things, Rob said it a while ago, there's some things that you do when you're you're young and childish that you know don't fit you as an adult. That behavior doesn't fit me for where I'm at in this stage of my life. Some things we keep wanting God to bring us out of and God keeps saying, well, you grow out of it. So then he leaves Gilgal and he says to Elisha, stay here. And Elisha said, I'm not staying here because I'm not finished. I refuse to stay at the point I got in. He said, I, I'm not, and 
as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm going to keep going. And the Bible says the next place that Elijah took him was he took him to Bethel. Everybody shout Bethel. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about Bethel today. Gilgal is everything you're separated from. Bethel is the beginning of things you're supposed to be attached to. It's things you're supposed to move towards. Because the word Bethel, everybody shout Bethel. The word Bethel means house of God. House of God. Let me tell you how it got his name. I want to read this scripture. If you'll put on the screen, Genesis 28, verse 11 through 19. When he reached a certain place, this is about Jacob, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. I mean, you know, that was a hard pillow. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord. The God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I'm with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I promised you. I'm going to bring you to the end of this journey. I'm going to bring you to the product. When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is, say, say this underlined part with me. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. By the way, that is the passage that God gave us to name this church. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel. In other words, he moved from a dream to something he could anoint that was going to be with him the rest of his life. He called the place Bethel. Bethel. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what, the, and, and, and the meaning of Bethel is, everybody say it with me, house of God. Say it again. Let me tell you what the house of God is not, before I tell you what it is. The house of God is not a physical building. There are people that are coming here in this room, and they wouldn't say certain words they would say in the parking lot. I ain't got no help nowhere. Because they'd say, I'm in the house of God. Well, guess what? When you're in the parking lot, you're in the house of God. So while I respect, honor, and am grateful for the facilities that God has entrusted to us, I never take that lightly, and I don't want them abused. I just want everybody to understand that the house of God is not a physical building. It's a spiritual dynamic. Second of all, the house of God is not an organization or a denomination. There's some people that grew up in denominations that believe you weren't a part of that group. You weren't a part of the house of God. But the reality is there's organizational structure within it. 
but it's organic. It, and the life of the house of God is not in its policies or its mission statements or its pedigree. The life of the house of God is because of whose house it is. It, I get disturbed when people say to me, oh, that's Bishop Miller's church. No, it's not. I didn't build this. I didn't save you. I didn't redeem you. I didn't deliver you. I may have been a voice and an instrument that God used to get you to that point, but how many of you know this house is not mine? It's not a pastoral staffs. It's not the it's not the eldership. It's not the apostolic overseers. This house is based on, built on, and established by for the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's his house. Somebody shout, it's the house of God. So then why is the house of God of value? How many of you know if, you, if, you, if you're getting ready to go and make a place to move into, first thing you ask if you're going to purchase a home, you say, what's the value of the house? Not, not what are they asking for it. What's the value of it? What's the value of it? Because listen, you'll never be willing to pay the cost till you understand the value. If you don't understand the value, you'll always want things on discounted sales. There are some people trying to discount their dreams in life because they've not yet come to understand the value of their dream and why it matters and what God wants to do through their life. So what's the value of the house of God? I'm going to go really quickly. First of all, according to what Jacob said when he named the place, first of all, the house of God is a place of encounter. It's a place of encounter. Or you could say it this way, it's a place of, of presence. It's interesting what had happened. Listen to me. Jacob had just manipulated his father's blessing. Jacob was not a Sunday school boy when this happened. Is anybody hearing me? Jacob was the grandson, he was the grandson of Abraham. But listen to me, when he got to this point, he was full of frustration and anxiety. And that's why he laid down to sleep and tried to rest. He had a night that was going to be very unrestful. But God let him know something. His name, Jacob, means trickster. He's always tricking. There's some Jacobs on your row. Don't look, don't look at them. Just look at me. There's some Jacobs on your row because they always tricking. They always trying to work a trick. I just saw three wives elbow their husbands. Listen, don't do that. Don't do that. They're always trying to work an angle to get what they want. They're tricking. That's what Jacob was. He was a trickster. He was constantly trying to manipulate his way into things that God wanted to give him, but he was not going to give them to him without the proper processing in his life. But Jacob wanted to trick to get them. You got to believe that God can get you to the product without you tricking people along the way. You don't have that you know what that means? Let me tell you what that means. That means you don't have to spend your life in image management. We live in a culture that people would rather be popular than actually be powerful. How many of you recognize all your likes on Facebook doesn't mean God's approving? And all your blocks doesn't mean God's disapproving. 
What God's trying to do is he's trying to say, Jacob, I got a place for you. I want to work in your life. I understand you're a trickster. I understand that there's part of you that tries to accomplish in the flesh what can only be accomplished through my spirit. So I'm going to bring you to the house of God. And what I'm going to reveal to you is that no matter how difficult, frustrating, or anxiety-filled your life may be, I'm going to fill it with my presence because in my presence, there's fullness of joy. And in my presence, I can bring you to the person I intended you to be. In my presence, I'm going to deal with your manipulating self. In my presence, I'm going to deal with your lying self. In my presence, I'm going to deal with your image management. In my presence, I'm going to deal with the fact that I do want to bless your life coming in and going out. But I'm not going to let you trust yourself. I'm going to let you come to a point where you have to trust me and trust me alone. Is anybody in the building know what I'm talking about? So he brought him to the house of God, the gate of heaven. Three things happened there he was awakened to. You can write them down real quickly. First of all, he was awakened to his inheritance. He said, Jacob, you don't even realize it, but you're sleeping on the place that's yours. How many people keep spending their life chasing something they already got? They just don't know they have it. That's really good. But you never know that until you get still or settle down in his presence. I'll find out I don't have to chase righteous standing. I have it. I have to learn how to appropriate it. In his presence, I learned that. I don't have to chase a victory. I have a victory. But I don't know that if I don't ever get in his presence. I mean, we sang it today. Chains are broken in the name of Jesus. So you know what that means? I'm not looking for the power to break chains. I have the power to break chains. But I'm not aware of that sometimes until I walk into his presence. Because see, when I'm not in the house of God, I'm out there fighting all by myself and believing this is all up to me. And I got to maneuver and manipulate and I got to connive in order to get to where I want to go. And God says, no, 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 no. What I want to do is bring you in the sanctuary of the Lord. I want to bring you into the house of God. And then you'll find out that what you thought was you making wrong turns was really just me bringing you up a mountain. And it looked like you were going back and forth, but I was taking you through a progression. To keep moving you upward. Am I helping anybody in the building? In fact, I want to tell you something. Most, most of, uh, well, some of the most greatest days of my life where I knew about my end product happened for me in the house of God. Jay and I, I was preaching in, in North Carolina in, in 2006. I was preaching in North Carolina in the middle of a worship service in the house of God where people had gathered together in the name of the Lord. And I'm standing there in worship, and all of a sudden, God makes me aware of an inheritance, a place that he promised for me. I know Jay won't ever forget this. I laid down on the floor. I'm the guest speaker. I laid down on the floor at the front of the building. And they kept singing. I think they kept singing, waiting on me to get up. Because they thought, he's the preacher. We can't preach till he gets up. So he's laying there. I kept laying there. I got a pen. I started writing. And I, I still got it in my journal today. I'm laying there on the floor thinking about preaching in a service in North Carolina, what I'm preaching about. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I've called you to the heartland. 
The heartland of America is calling your name. I want you to make the decision to go to Oklahoma City. I just wrote it in my journal. I thought, I, I, I don't even know how this is all going to happen. I don't even know how it's all going to come to pass. But I understood something. I stepped into the house of God. And when I was in the presence of the Lord, God let me see what he had as an end result for my life that I didn't even know from here how to get there. It was going to be pace. It was going to be process. But God said, this is going to be your place of inheritance. What are you saying, Bishop? I'm saying, if you never get in the house... You never discover inheritance. Second thing he was awakened to, he was awakened to the fact that he was protected. God said, I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to let anything happen to you. In other words, how many of you know when you're part of the house of God, there's covering over your life? There's protection. I remember... I was a teenager, and I, I, I sometimes could be, uh, I could, what's the word I want to use? Difficult. Who said that down here? Whoever that is, we just, we just want to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I was always, uh, you know, cutting up and agitating and difficult, yeah. Anyway, I was at McDonald's with some friends. And there was this girl coming in McDonald's. I mean, I was, I was a senior in high school, and I was playing football, and I'd worked out. I was in pr- fairly good shape. And so I was just talking to her. I was like, hey, where are you from? You know, we live outside of D.C., and she just came in McDonald's. And I didn't know who she was. And these guys dared me to talk to her, and I did. So I started talking to her, and they said, you better leave her alone. I said, no, I'm going to talk to her. So I went to talk to her. But what I didn't know about the next two minutes later, in walked her boyfriend. <laughs> and he's like 6'3", and he's got on a leather vest. And he's carrying like a German-made helmet in his hand. And I come to find out he's a motorcycle guy. And I'm like, well, you know, okay, okay, it's fine. And all of a sudden, I kept talking to him, and I started cutting up. And then he started saying stuff to me, and I started saying stuff back. How many of you know trash talking is something you probably ought not do? (laughs) But I did. So at that point in time in my life, I had a 1987... No, a 1977, excuse me. No, it wasn't even that. It was 1967. Let me get in the right year. It it was a 1967 Ford Falcon. I don't know how many of you remember a 1967 Ford Falcon, but they are not the quickest thing in town. And my dad bought it for me because we we rebuilt it. We've got more money in Bondo putting it back together than we did in actually the car cost. It was just a wreck. We put it back together. Dad thought that would be a great thing for me to drive to begin with. So anyway, I come walking out, and all of a sudden I realize I made this guy mad, but he was not by himself. He was with a whole motorcycle gang. There was like 40 of them. I get in my little Ford Falcon. I thought, well, I'm going to go home. Next thing I know, the motorcycle gang pulls out from behind me and starts following me. And then they pull up beside me trying to force me off the road. By this time, I'm getting a little bit nervous because I'm now by myself. All my friends are still at McDonald's. <laughs> so I'm 17 years old, and I'm a big football player, but i tell you one thing I knew. I'm headed home. I'm going home. And so I, because there was no cell phones, I couldn't call my dad. It was in the summertime. They, they, they actually had the windows up for some reason in their bedroom. They didn't, I don't know why they didn't have the air conditioning on, but they had the windows up in their bedroom. So I come screaming around the curve in our neighborhood, and I'm sure my dad heard me, my little Ford Falcon, and it, it and, and was behind me, and just motorcycles everywhere. I jumped out, I squealed into our driveway, I jumped out of the car, and I hollered, Daddy! Daddy! 
And I don't know if he heard the motorcycle gang coming. I don't know what he did. But my dad had jumped up. And my dad always had a pistol that was in the closet right next to his bed. And my dad jumped up. He had on a, on a tank top T-shirt and boxer shorts. And out in the front yard, in the, in the silhouette of the moon, here came my dad in his boxer shorts and little T-shirt, all these motorcycle gang, and my dad cocks that 350 pistol, 357 pistol, and he said, boy, you get in the house. And what's the rest of you got to say? And one by one, the motorcycle guys just drove on off. They just drove on off. Drove on off. You say, why'd you tell that story? Because the key for my dad was not stand here and fight these people with me. The key for my dad was get in the house. If you get in the house, I can take care of the situation. But as long as you're out here, I can't take care of the situation. I came to tell somebody today, the reason the devil's not left you is because you ain't decided yet to get in the house. The reason he won't leave you alone is you're out there still trying to fight the motorcycle gangs all by yourself. But if you'll just pull up to Father's house and scream, Daddy God, he's going to walk out into the middle of the affairs of your life and say, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you and everything that looks like it's coming against you, you get in the house and I'll take care of your adversaries. Does anybody in the building know what I'm talking about? And lastly, he was awakened to the fact that he would have a continual relationship with Bethel. He said, I'm going to bring you back here continually. In other words, watch this. You never outgrow your need for the house of God. You never become so successful. You never become so anointed that you don't need the house of God. Because it's a part of the processing that God has in your life. You know something? I have no problem loving everybody as long as I don't have to be with anybody. You just missed that. That went to the back wall. You know one of the reasons God puts you in a house? Just so iron can sharpen iron. Just so you can find out how to walk in forgiveness. Just so you can keep from getting offended. You say, well, I want to live an offended, offense-free life. Well, go live out in the woods somewhere. Because the truth of the matter is, you live in life. Somebody at work this week is going to offend you. Somebody in church is going to offend you. Somebody in your house is going to offend you. But what do you learn to live with that? You learn to live with that by saying, you know what? I've, never, I've learned how to deal with those things because I've been a part of the house of God. And that brings me to my second point. Not only is it a place of encounter where God's able to work in your life, it's a place of interdependency and connectivity. It's a place of being in, interdependent and connected. Please listen to what I'm about to say because I'm almost done. You can never fulfill the plan of God for your life by yourself. Any place that calls itself a church but has no encounter with God or interaction with heaven 
is simply a religious institution and a religious gathering. It's not the house of God. And any place where believers believe they don't need to be connected to other believers is nothing more than a club. But the spiritual dynamic, here's what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 5. He said, you are lively stones built together into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Do you know what happened when you came in this room this morning? The lively stones actually got together in one place. And when you did, the corporate anointing went to another level. I walk under a personal anointing and so do you. But when I join with other people, how many of you know at that point in time, I enter into a corporate anointing that is far greater than the personal anointing that I live in. Psalm 68, verse number six says this, God sets the solitary in families and he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious will dwell in a dry land. In other words, everybody that rebels against him allowing them to put them in a family, he said, I'm going to let you live in dry places. Because guess what? Sometimes I don't have the water for my garden. You do. You do. Sometimes I walk in here drained. But I stand in the midst of people I'm connected to. And their praise lifts me to a whole other place. My life, Amber, stand up. Amber, just stand up. Amber just shared with me today. Two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when we had the prayer service for people. She's been a cancer victim. And she came to the altar and said, I want to believe that cancer stopped in my body right now. You know what? She'd been fighting that at home. Her and Joe have been fighting, believing. They've been agreeing. But she came down here and agreed with people that she's connected to in the house of God. She said to me, I went to my cancer appointment. She said, they told me, we're going to stop all your treatments because you've gone into remission for some reason. No more treatments are needed. Somebody shout. When I can't fight by myself, I'm connected to other people. Who when I add my oil to your oil to your oil, it becomes the anointing of the Holy Ghost that breaks every yoke and sets at liberty everybody that's bound. Hallelujah. That's why God never wants you to be in isolation. And watch this. You can't build the house of God with a stone. He said lively stones. That means there's many stones, multiple stones that make the house of God. Somebody said, can I, can I go to heaven without ever being connected to anybody? Yes, you can probably go to heaven without ever being connected to anybody else. But here's what I want to say to you. You can never fulfill your purpose on earth without ever being connected to other people. And I believe if you want to not make a difference, you're living a life far below your privileges. God wants you to live to the full potential of your life. So the question is this. Just start playing for me. Where do you connect? You know, in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and James were threatened, Peter and John were threatened, the Bible says they returned to their own company. 
And they lifted their voice together and prayed. And the place where they were gathered was shaken. Who's your company? I love, I love Bishop Jakes. He ain't coming to your house to pray with you. Steve Furtick's not coming. I know him well. <clears throat> Very well. He's a great, phenomenal man. I don't mean that in a negative way. They're not going to do that. But you know what? You can be in a connection group where you don't have to have a superstar preacher, but you can have connection. And when your life gets threatened, you can return to your own company and say, will you lift your voice with me? And when they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. You know what that means? God will never let, I hope this never happens here. I intentionally do things to, to try to not let it happen. I know the gifts of God in my life. People ask me, why don't you minister at the gate like you do when you're on the road? I said, because my assignment's different. When I'm on the road, I, I'm there for one night. I empty everything I got. I'll have prayer lines. I'll lay hands on people. I'll prophesy to everybody. I'll work in the gifts. I'll do whatever it is. But it's a conference for them. It's a catalytic moment. I intentionally, we, we intentionally, a couple years ago said, our prayer lines are going to be prayed primarily. Does that mean I won't do that? No, I do do that at times. But I intentionally have prayer teams because how many of you know prayer teams can be here every week? Prayer teams can still be here 15 years from now. We don't want to build a convention center. I don't want people coming in this room because they're identifying just with my gifts. I want them to come because they connect to the house of God. I connect to the house of God. I'm going to do everything I can. Listen, I, I do everything I can to bring everything I can to this place. This is my passion. This is my passion. Gate Church is going to explode in 2020. It's my passion. But my passion is to see movement, life change. And that happens by people understanding that if you're going to take the process, you start with stuff that rolls off your life. And then you process into things you need to attach to your life. I understand that you got soccer weekends and busy times. But you know what? You're going to have to balance that out with, where is my place in the house of God? I'm not just talking about a physical attendance on Sunday morning. It involves that. But it's more than that. It's about me being connected to people, not just walking in a building and walking out. It's about me learning to be connected to people so that life flows to me. And listen, when you get planted, Psalms 92.13 says this, they that are planted in the house of the Lord flourish in the courts of their God.
Maybe they're gifts that God's waiting to flourish and he's waiting on it to happen when you get planted. Not buried. Planted. If you're buried, you don't expect anything. But if you're planted, I got to stop. If you're planted, you trust the soil to do its work. And you know that soil will bring out in me what I couldn't bring out in myself. Stand with me. What value? is the house of God. Just before we close the meeting today, there are people in this room, you're on this journey right here. You're on a journey to Christ. You don't know him. You've heard about him. Maybe you know some things about him, but you've never really personally met him. So you've made the journey to Christ. Today is the day you make a decision to say, I'm going to, I'm going to step in to that personal relationship. I'm going to begin that personal relationship today with Jesus. Not church relationship, personal relationship with him. I'm going to count to three all over this room. I trust today, listen, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you didn't need a pastor to tell you that. You knew that before you came in here. If you've never asked Jesus to personally come into your life, you're aware of that. But what you needed is somebody to give you the courage and to give you the permission and to give you a way to enter into what it is you really need most. That's why I'm here today. I want to take you across the bridge into a promise he has for you, which is a promise of life everlasting. I'm going to count to three, and when I do, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, here's what I want. I want permission to pray with you today. I want to ask Christ to transform your life. That's what happened to me. See, you don't inherit your faith. You have to choose it. I had to make a personal decision. My parents were Christians, but that didn't make me saved. I had to make a personal decision to come to Christ. So when I get to three, if you're in the room, say, Bishop, I want you to pray for me today. I want want to make that journey to Christ. Once I do that, I'll talk about the journey in Christ. But I want to make the journey to Christ. All over this room, hands are going to go up people even right near you, their hands are probably going to go up. And we're going to pray together. We're we're done today. When I get to three, raise your hand high. One, two, three. Hands go up across the building. Include me in your prayer today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, I want to pray with these people today because I believe God's going to transform their life in a supernatural way. Can I ask you to do something for me? You just lifted your hand. Courage has already come. You've done, you, you've done the part to say, Jesus, I'm making my journey to you. 
Your life is never going to be the same. Ushers are already in our aisles. Our prayer teams are beginning to make their way. If you lifted your hand just now, would you just come and let me pray with you personally? Just take a step. Make one step of a journey towards Christ. If you lifted your hand, come on, join me right here at the front. Wherever you're at, come on, everybody. Come on. Come on. God bless you. Come on. Come on, church, let's give the Lord a great big praise offering today. Thank God for people. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Come on, come on. pray this prayer together. Thank you. Thank you. I believe today is the first day of the rest of your life. You had a natural birthday. You get ready to have a spiritual birthday. February 2nd, 2020, I was born into a relationship with Christ. This is not turning over a new leaf. This is really having a new birth. God's going to swipe the slate clean so your life can be changed. Everybody in the building is going to pray this prayer. There's people that are standing with you that are part of our prayer team. They're just going to lay their hand lightly on you, on your back, to agree. But I want you to just pray this prayer with me out loud with everybody else. Jesus is going to hear you today. This is the first step to a journey with Christ. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus. Jesus. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you're alive today. I believe you're alive today. I believe you chose me. I believe you chose me. And today, and today, I make a choice. I make a choice to choose you. To choose you. I take a step. I take a step towards you. Towards you. Thank you today. Thank you today for receiving me. For receiving me. For accepting me. For accepting me. For transforming my life. For transforming my life. By your blood today. By your blood today. That you shed for me. That you shed for me. I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. Thank you. Thank you. For saving my life. For saving my life. In your name I pray. In your name I pray. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for these men and women that are standing here today. I thank you for transformation in their life. Lord, it doesn't even matter what their life has been like. From this moment forward, all things become new. All things begin to fall away. And everything becomes new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a great big praise offering? Teams, you'll help me. The, the people that are with you just want to talk to you for a moment. I don't, I don't want anything from you, but I do want to help you. Because I believe now the next part is this journey in him. I want to help you begin to make the steps so that you see this transformation lived out in your life. So would you take just a moment and converse with the people that are standing around you so that they can get some information so we can help you. Church, one more time, would you give the Lord a great big praise offering for changed lives today? Those of you that are coming to the party, we're so delighted to have you. We'll meet in just a moment in the cafe area. For those of you that are guests today, please make sure you go to the Welcome Center. We have something for you. Thank you for being at the Gate Church today. Now may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he lift his countenance upon you and shine his grace and favor on you in all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you want information about the 10 weeks of empowerment, people are in the grand foyer. Go there and meet with them. God bless. Bye-bye.